Hello, and welcome back to the final episode of our exploration of sovereign debt restructuring. I'm Robin Wigglesworth, the US Markets Editor for the Financial Times. In the last few episodes, we've discussed just how countries run into trouble, some of the problems they then have to confront, and some potential fixes that have emerged in recent years. I thought that for our last instalment, it would be good to end on a happyish note and in a sunny place. We'll be looking at Jamaica, a rare example of a country that found itself on the brink of a financial and economic cataclysm, but thanks to hard work, discipline, and a healthy dose of good fortune, it's on the mend. A few years ago, Jamaica was in a very sticky situation. Well, Jamaica um, had a debt uh, ratio that was rising. Fiscal deficits um, were not uh, under control. That's Brian Winter, the country's central bank governor, who I caught up with recently in D.C. The economy was not receiving investment that it needed. The uh, balance of payments was uh, wide. Um, so Jamaica was reached, reached a point where foreign uh, creditors to uh, businesses were limiting, cutting back their lines. Uh, um, so we were, I would say, in a very, very dangerous position. The genesis of the problem stretched back decades. In 1962, Jamaica gained independence from the United Kingdom and quickly embarked on a spending spree to develop the country and improve social welfare. But it didn't do a particularly good job at managing the economy and its finances. Here's Peter Phillips, until recently the Jamaican finance minister. What It was a period when the country was still not um, fully understanding of the dynamic of, of global markets. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, expectation of, you know, the, the prospects of uh, collective diplomacy, new international economic order, um, and, and that kind of thing, but which, which, while it had great prospect, was certainly affected by the turbulence in the first oil price shock, which, which Everybody thought may have been short-lived, but it, 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 it really does carry on a series of up-and-down efforts. And we never really made the sustained adjustments so that we had this steady build-up of the debt. The country suffered from the Cold War battle of hearts and minds, with Jamaica leaning in a more socialist direction, and its position in the middle of the Caribbean. That meant it became a key transit point for the burgeoning drug trade from Latin America to the US, which brought with it a host of other problems. Put, it, put another way, we also had tremendous challenges resulting from us being in a dangerous neighborhood as the, as the ideological conflicts of the 70s and 80s played out, as the, the, the rise of the, the, the drug demand in the U.S. Um, created a, uh, an opportunity for the influx of a lot of criminal money and focus on not only Jamaica but the rest of the Caribbean. The cumulative effect was a massive debt burden, one of the biggest in the world, and a sclerotic economy that has in practice treaded water for several decades now. Jamaica has had to restructure its debts a staggering amount of times. Are you ready? It defaulted on its bonds in 1981, 1987, 2012, and 2013. 
and restructured loans from other countries in 1984, 85, 87, 88, 1990, 91, 93, and 2004. That's according to Moody's, the rating agency. And a few years ago, things started to take a turn for the worse, if you can believe that. In 2013, the country had to restructure its debts for the second time in just two years, and get a $2 billion bailout from the IMF, the World Bank, and the Inter-American Development Bank to stave off an even worse collapse. But even this looked like it might be too little, too late. At the time, one hedge fund manager told me that Jamaica is sitting on the curb, slowly bleeding to death. Even people inside the bailout institutions were doubtful that the country could turn the ship around. Jamaica's debt had reached over 140% of its gross domestic product. And the IMF hopes that this would slope down to 100% by 2020. But that depended on draconian long-term government austerity programs and far-reaching economic reforms. As a condition for the bailout, Jamaica had to commit to running a primary budget surplus of 7.5% of gross domestic product. A primary surplus is the fiscal balance before debt payments are counted. To put that in context, the IMF reckons that Greece needs to run a primary surplus of 3.5% for the foreseeable future. Running such a surplus over a long time is nearly unheard of, but Jamaica wasn't blessed with a lot of alternatives. We have had a long, a long build-up of debt over 40 years. We have had slow growth, no growth um, over the period. Our debt between 73 and over 40 years has expanded by about 600%. Our average rate of growth is, has been less than 1%. I think everybody... I mean, we just were honest and sincere as an administration. What were the options? The Jamaican government had to overhaul its economy with what the IMF calls structural reforms to make it more competitive. These reforms included a completely overhauled tax system. Here's Brian Winter again. I mean, Jamaica sort of tore up its tax um, strategy that had been followed over decades of, you know, special incentives for special groups and so forth and reworked that uh, completely. Still, there was widespread scepticism that Jamaica could follow through with all this. Don't forget, the country had failed many, many other rescue programs before and had been a serial debt defaulter. So the turnaround that Jamaica has managed has been simply stunning. The government led by Portia Ross Simpson did everything asked of it, getting the budget in shape and chipping away at the mountain of structural reforms required by the IMF, the World Bank and the IDB, earning their plaudits. This has encouraged optimism locally that Jamaica is turning the corner. We put a lot of energy in meeting the, the objectives, and that has in turn, I think, boosted morale. We set up a coordination and implementation office with dedicated personnel and ensure that all the different facets of, of the government bureaucracy that have to meet commitments as part of this program, in fact, did their bit. Many of the reforms have been painful, but they were still absolutely necessary given the extent of Jamaica's economic rot. You're not just talking about the correction of a cyclical imbalance. You're talking about long-term structural transformation. Growth has been low for many, many 
years. And, and, and therefore, what you need is to undertake the kinds of reforms that uh, are not done speedily because they involve basic institutional reorganization um, of the way the state does business. Jamaica has also been helped by Deus Ex Machina. The collapse in oil prices was a great boon to a country where oil imports are a big drain. It's also allowed a nifty bit of financial engineering. A chunk of Jamaica's debt was owed to Venezuela for oil imports. The Latin American country's own precarious situation meant that it was amenable to restructuring the debt in return for immediate payment of a lump sum. The money was raised for a $2 billion Jamaican bond sale, helped by the turnaround in the country's fortunes. The proceeds were used to buy back roughly $3.2 billion owed to Venezuela's state oil company. And hey presto, Jamaica's debt-to-GDP ratio was pruned by 10 percentage points. As a result, the IMF's latest forecasts predict that the country's debt ratio will fall below the 100% mark by the fiscal year of 2019, a year ahead of schedule. But a crucial factor in Jamaica's nascent turnaround story has been the buy-in from large parts of the country. To the credit of the population as a whole, I think everybody has, has accepted that something needed to be done. And um, I, I think perhaps what this period has shown is the, is the real capacity of the Jamaican population to rally around some national objectives. This is an important point. Greece continues to struggle to emerge from its problems, partially because the government and the country as a whole has failed to take ownership of the IMF design programme. That's understandable. But in Jamaica, there was broad recognition that something drastic had to be done. Nonetheless, Jamaica is not out of the woods. While debt ratios are sloping downwards, and the fiscal discipline earned it a modest reprieve from the IMF earlier this year, lowering the primary budget surplus target to 7%, the economy is not firing on all cylinders yet. For many Jamaicans, the austerity has proven tough. And keeping on course with politically painful reforms is tough in a democracy. Here's Brian Winter. I think the challenge is still in front of Jamaica because um, we have, um, I think, corrected the excesses and um, reset the path in terms of the structure of the economy. Um, but it's incomplete work. Um, so uh, to, to really come back fully requires that we deliver on uh, the promise of these changes. And that's a slower process. Indeed the government has now paid the price for its tough stance. Since I spoke to Mr Phillips, his People's National Party was ousted in elections this February, losing to the Jamaican Labour Party. Part of the reason was people's weariness with the years of austerity. Although the new Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, has refrained from savaging the IMF directly, he was very critical of the government's austerity and has pledged to create 250,000 new jobs and slash at the income tax. While this could help the economy, it could unravel much of the recent budgetary discipline. So while Jamaica might be a small country in the big scheme of things, we should keep an eye out for what happens there. If it's able to entrench the recovery, it could well emerge as a shining beacon of hope to other countries that have fallen on hard times. Because if Jamaica can regain its vim, 
then pretty much anyone can. I'm Robin Wigglesworth. This episode was produced by Amy Keane. Thanks for listening.